Well, good morning. Today we're going to begin 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. So I'm calling everyone in the room. Here's, here's, if, I, if I could have you do what I'm hoping you'll do, you would make a decision during this service that for the next 21 days, you would be involved by praying every day and by fasting once a week. We'll get to that in just a minute. I do want to tell you that, you know, when you commit yourself to prayer, God does stuff in your life and brings you clarity and conviction, and it's, it's quite an amazing thing. So I want to just tell you a little bit. Uh, I, a few weeks ago, I launched this uh, uh, fundraising effort, and I hate to say it a fundraising effort, but you know what? There are projects in this church that have to be done, like redoing the lighting system in this room, uh, redoing the, the uh, flooring in the balcony. Uh, we have a half-remodeled chapel that we need to complete. And so, you know, I mean, it's kind of with fear and trembling. I'm the pastor, and I'm up here asking that we would collectively give so that we could come up with $465,000. I don't know what kind of world you run in, but $465,000 for me is a little bit scary. You know what I'm saying? And so I called everyone to pray and seek God and give something. After that service, you know, you ask people to give something, you never know what the response is going to be. Uh, after that service, a man came down to the front, and he came up to me, and he said, hey, I just want to let you know that... Uh, you can count on our family for 1%. And I'm like, 1%? I don't know, what's, what, I don't know what 1% is about. He says, yeah, 1%. 1% of $465,000, our family will give 1%. I'm like, that's awesome. All I need now is 99 more people who will give 1%. And so that became one of my prayer items. So every day I'm thanking God and going through my routine and saying, and God, we just need 99 more people who will give 1% of $465,000, which by the way, if you're, if you're weak on math, that's $4,650, okay? And so I'm praying and praying, and one day as I'm praying, I kind of feel like this, this question came into my heart, and, and it, it was almost like, well, are you going to give 1%? And I responded, because I kind of felt like maybe the Lord was talking to me. He said, Lord, you know, Cindy and I have already talked about this. We're going to give what we think is a large amount, and it's not 1%, but, um, you know, um, so we, we've already done what we're going to do. We're... And then the Lord just, like, leaves the silence. Oh. Well, this, this sort of dialogue between me and the Lord continued to the point where one day I went to Cindy and I said, Cindy, um, I think we're supposed to give 1%. She says to me, well, you do what you want. You manage the money. So if you think we can find, I said, well, we won't get it done till May, but we'll give what we're, what we're given and then it'll take us till May to get the rest of it given. But I think I can't be praying for 99 people to give 1% and us not do it. So here we go. When I read through the Bible, I see so many times where one of the efforts of God's people uh, is to build, rebuild, maintain the place of worship. It's always happening if you read through the Bible. And I think to myself, what a privilege it is 
to sacrifice, you know, for the house of God, a place where we worship. And so I'm, I'm here again asking you, are there 99 people in this room that would give 1%? I don't know. Could you give 0.1%? We only need 1,000 of you. Maybe you're in the room and you, you could give 10%. And it doesn't matter. Except we just need to do what God is leading us to do. And I think there is something about stretching in faith and sacrifice. So I'm going to ask you to include that in your 21 days of prayer. This is what I know, okay? You pray that God will supply $465,000 so that we can get our projects done for 21 days. I don't know. Kind of think maybe that'll sneak into your heart and soul. And then God will tell you what to do. So as we begin 21 days of fasting and fasting and prayer, the question really before us is, do you really believe in prayer? I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the room that hasn't prayed for something and then it didn't happen. And then we're like, I prayed, it didn't happen, I'm done with prayer. I've been there, have you been there? I prayed for someone who was sick and they didn't get better. So what good is it, I'm out. I prayed for God to provide financially or give me a new job and I've been praying and God hasn't done what I've asked him to do and so I'm out. And I think we have this kind of off and on relationship with, with prayer. We, don't, we, we believe in it, but we don't really believe in it, and we don't always practice it. Um, you know, one of the interesting things for me has been, as I've been studying about prayer and reading many scholars and biblical uh, experts and preachers, that many of them admitted that one of their weakest areas is prayer developing a disciplined prayer life. I'm like, you're kidding me. You, I know who you are. I listen to you preach all the time. And it's hard for you to develop a discipline of prayer? Wow, I guess I'm not the only one. But do you really believe in prayer? You know what? I, my son is here. And my awesome daughter-in-law, by the way, Kyla. And forgive me the cutest little two-year-old. So we're watching more football than we usually watch in my house because Rob is here and Monday Night Football. We watched with many others as um, DeMar Hamlin on the field, televised, gets up from a play, stumbles and falls. We later learned that he experienced cardiac arrest, and as we watched, we didn't know if he was alive or not. We didn't know what was going on. And as we watched the commentators, you know, the game is stopped, and they're all trying to fumble around to figure out something to say, and they are emotionally upset, it's very clear. They, they, their world is rocked, because here's a young athlete uh, on the field I mean, did he just drop dead? What is going on? The ambulance comes. They take him away. They had to resuscitate him. We're hearing all of the chatter that goes around that. And then, all of a sudden, Dan Orlovsky, 
I didn't say that right. I even Googled how to pronounce that. He's a commentator. And he's, he's, he says, you know, I, I, I think we want to pray right now. And he begins to pray on TV. I mean, this is not a channel that gets a lot of praying done. And this is what he prayed. He just like broke out into this prayer. God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, because we believe that you're God. And coming to you and praying to you has impact. We're sad. We're angry. And we want answers, but... Some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If, if we didn't believe that prayer w- didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name, amen. And this guy just led the nation, especially the football nation, in a moment where we decided, man, we sure do need the help of God. You know, instinctively when things get tough and scary and troublesome and we're desperate and in trouble, we like are wired to want to cry out for help. What do you believe about prayer? Prayer is was central to the life of Jesus. It was so much a part of his routine that his disciples observed him praying through the night for long times. Uh, Jesus would get away, and he didn't, Jesus didn't pray out of duty or obligation. I mean, as they observed Jesus, he wasn't going through ritual. He, he in fact, seemed like he was strengthened and empowered when he prayed. Jesus worked hard. He helped a lot of people. He, he would be exhausted at the end of the day, but he decided he wanted to go and pray because it was like in those moments of prayer, he gained strength, he recharged, he reconnected to the Father. I mean, the disciples watched Jesus and then one day they came to him in Luke chapter 11 and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. So I'm gonna challenge all of us How about for 21 days, we decide we're going to pick a time, pick a place, follow a plan, and pray persistently. That's what the message is about. I'm also asking you to pick a time to fast. Fast in the traditional sense is just don't, says not eat. You say, you're asking us to fast for 21 days? No, 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 I'm not. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm you, you do that if, if you and your doctor feel like you want to do that. But I'm telling you what, uh, I'm asking you to pick at least once a week something that you're going to fast from. Maybe a meal. Now, here's the deal. If you get up and you don't ever eat breakfast and you say, okay, I'm fasting for breakfast today. That's not a fast. Who are you kidding? 
It's when you intentionally say, I'm not going to eat. I'm not trying to lose weight. I, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to seek the Lord in a, in a different, more intense, more profound way. I'm interrupting the normal schedule of my life. I am going to tell my appetite, get away, leave me alone. I, I will be hungry and I, I'm gonna, because I'm seeking God. So pick a meal. In the noisy, crowded world in which we live, maybe your fast could be, I'm going to fast from social media for 12 hours. That means no Instagram, no Facebook. There's, I'm going to stay away from it all. I don't, some of you, if you're like a binge Netflix watcher or whatever platform watcher you are, maybe you go for one whole day without watching any entertainment, no streaming, just like, and you're going to feel like, oh, wow, I feel like I want to go do that, but, but I'm not going to because I'm fasting today. I'm not going to view any entertainment at all. What does fasting do? You know, sometimes my computer or my phone goes nuts on me. And you know what I do? I turn it off. Isn't that the great solution to any computer problem? Turn it off and reboot. Fasting is kind of turning it off and rebooting. 21 days. I invite you to join with us and prioritize prayer. Luke chapter 11 is our place. We're going to go through three points out of this passage. Number one, Luke 11, one, it came to pass. He was praying, Jesus was praying in a certain place. I want you to notice that term, in a certain place. It doesn't just say Jesus was praying somewhere. No, no. He was praying in a certain prayer, a certain place. It's like Jesus had spots where he would go and pray. And the disciples knew that's exactly what he was doing when he went to those places. Off in the wilderness, I don't know what the certain place was. But the point is, Jesus had places he would go where he could spend time praying. And so he went to that certain place. My suggestion to you is get a certain place. Go to it. Now, pray in the car on your way to work or wherever you go, but you need a certain place. And go to that place and spend time intentionally praying. For me, I'm so blessed because I have an office in my house, and I've got this big blue chair and an old, old ottoman that Cindy bought at TJ Maxx. It's about to fall apart, I think. But anyway, it's my place. And I go to that place every day and I pray. You know, I wonder, have, has, have your children ever come in and discovered you were praying? Now, I, I try my best to not be visual, so I kind of go earlier in the morning so that no, I feel embarrassed, I don't know, weird people are there. Um, but what an incredible thing to give as a gift to your family that your wife and your children discover you on your knees praying. That visual probably preaches a bigger sermon about prayer as a father to his family or as a mother to her family than what I can preach. But you've got to find a place. And then the disciples, after he came down from that place, in, in verse 1, and when he had ceased, um, he went to his disciples, and one disciple said to him, 
Lord, would you teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray? They, I mean, they were noticing that Jesus didn't, I mean, he didn't treat prayer like a vending machine. That's how we treat God sometimes. We tell him what we want. You know, we put in the coin of our time on our knees in prayer. And if it doesn't come out like what we ask for, we're like upset with God and we quit prayer. But that's not what prayer is all about. Prayer for Jesus was spending time with the Father. It was a place where he got to be with God, not just get from God. Prayer was a place where he was safe, where he was nurtured, where he re could recharge. Why? Because there is no one in this world who is more for you than God himself. There is no one in this world who cares more about you and what's going on in your life than God himself. I love 1 Peter 5, 7. It says this, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Do you know that God cares for you? You come into his presence and, he, he, you know, a lot of people, you, you want to tell them what's going on in your life and they're like, nah, don't, don't know, don't care. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, leave me alone. I don't need all of that stuff. But, but God, you come into the presence of God and you, you just tell him what you're feeling. You tell him what you need. You can give him your cares because he cares for you. Prayer is not a vending machine. It is a door to walk in the presence of God. Prayer is central to developing a personal relationship with God. So that's the first thing. You gotta find a place. Second, you need a plan. So Jesus gives a plan. You know, the one thing I love about Jesus is he is, as a speaker, so succinct and to the point. Like, I'm going to take longer talking to you about prayer than Jesus did. Sorry. But Jesus gives them a plan. So he says, okay, here's, here, you, you find a certain place like I do. And he says to them in verse 2, so when you pray, say, and here it is, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sin, for we, uh, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So there, this is it. Here's a plan. It's succinct. It's to the point. It deals with all of the major headings of our lives. The first one is this, our Father who art is our art in heaven. I mean, it's not about reciting this, although that's a great start, but it's to think about the fact that God, who created all things, who created the heavens and the earth, who rules everywhere at all times, God in heaven. I mean, are you kidding me? He says, when you talk to me, don't say, boss. No, say, our father. Our fa God wants a personal relationship with us. Hallowed be thy name. God wants to hear from his children because he cares about them. And God is holy. God is good. God never wills anything but your best. 
God uses his great power, his tender mercies, and his compassions that are everlasting. And he directs them to you. You you don't ever worry about whether God woke up in a bad mood and may just, you know, off, off the on an off chance, decide to smack you around. That's just not God. God is good. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. A little more challenging. You know why? Because if you get this inverted, your prayer life is like, my will be done. I'm coming to you, God. You can deliver for me Here's my list. That's so backwards. But when we go to him and we say, God, I know I have a tendency to want to tell you what to do. I have a tendency to want to demand from you in such a nice, sweet way that you give me my list. But I just want to step back and I just want to stop and say, I believe you are good. I believe your ways are right. I am so willing today to just follow your will. Show me your will. I can't improve on your best plan. That includes surrender. Um... You know, I, I, I don't want to overload you with stories of the most adorable little grandbaby you've ever seen in your life, but, um, you know, i got to share it. Uh, little Eleanor has been at my house now for a week, and um, I have, I hear her coming to the house, Papa, Papa, oh my goodness, what do I do? I jump up and go find her. She wants to hide. She wants to run. I'm running like a fool around my living room and kitchen, round and round and round and round because Eleanor wants to run. She's chasing me, and then I'm chasing her, and we run. And Can you believe this? You can, some of your grandparents. One thing I love about her, though, is there are times when I'm just like instinctively trying to help her because she's trying to climb or get this... And I try to help her. She says, Papa, no help. No help. She's an independent little girl. But when she needs help, she asks, Papa, help. And I come running. To surrender to the will of God, believing that God's ways are best, It is calming. It's strengthening. You will not find a plan for your life more complete, more satisfying than the will of God. Then it goes on, give us this day our daily bread. You know what? Ask for the stuff you need. Jesus, by the way, did say, hey, by the way, uh, you know that list of things you're trying to tell me about? I already know. I already know you need them before you ask. But go ahead and ask me. 
but I've got you. Forgive us of our sin as we forgive those who are indebted to us. The fundamental thing for us as we pray is to explore in a practical way how we can live in the presence of God, trusting in his goodness and surrendering to his lead. When I was a a teenager, young teenager, my mom, and I've told you this before, would dispatch me every time I'm 15. Where are you going today? Going with my friends. And, you know, we'd, we'd go. She, I mean, we, we told her where we went, kind of. And, um, you know, she, she's in heaven now. Don't know what she knows. But anyway, that's another subject. Um, but my mom would always say, Eddie, I hope you have a great time with your friends tonight. And I just remember Galatians 6, 7 to 8, and she would quote this verse to me. Remember, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. And he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Have a good time. And I go, oh, stop it, mom. You just, she would make me so mad. But she got to me. Because either God is good and his ways are good. And it is what I desire the most, so it's easier for me to surrender to his will. And in my prayer sometimes, I kind of have to wrestle. God, you know I really don't like what's going on here. I don't, God, I really have a plan for you to, to exercise. You know, could you execute this plan I've got for you? And then I stop and decide, God, Okay, just show me. I want your will to be done. Lastly, persistency in prayer. The great thing about Jesus is when he talks about prayer, he includes this story in verses 5 to 8 that showcases the frustration of a life of prayer. The awkwardness, the struggle. Um, you pray, uh, is God going to do what you ask? I mean, in verse 5, he tells this story. It's a parable. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, so his friend next door answers him, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. But I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is, a, he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So, There's an awkwardness in this. Like, who is me and who is God in this parable? I'm the one who had a friend who came unexpected to my house at night. And here's the way in the first century bread works. You make the bread in the morning. You have enough bread to last all day. You don't want a lot of leftover bread at the end of the day because who wants to eat day-old stale bread? 
And so the goal is to a good house manager will give a, have enough bread for everyone to have as much as they need. And at the end of the day, there's no bread left. That's actually a success. And, but unless you have a midnight visitor show up and you don't have anything and you don't have time to prepare bread, bake bread. So what do you do? Well, maybe my neighbor's got some extra loaves of bread. And so what does this guy, he gets up, he goes to his neighbor, he knocks on the door. It's so late, everybody's in bed and his friend is kind of grumpy and says, why are you waking me up in the middle of the night? Well, because I've got a friend who just arrived. He kind of woke me up in the middle of the night. Well, can, can you give me three, three loaves? Are you kidding me? Your request means I'm going to have to get up, wake everybody else up. My kids are tucked in all around me. I'm going to have to get up, wake up my house, go get the bread, come and give it to you. But, uh, but I'll do it because you're my neighbor and my friend. Now, I want, what I want you to notice is, although there's an awkwardness there, there is a relational equity there that is so strong that even when it bugs you, it's going to happen. And you know what Jesus is saying? I want you to pray persistently. Don't be afraid of the awkwardness. Whatever you do, do not give up on prayer. And then he concludes. He concludes with this state, these statements. Verse 9, so I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. This is talking about the effectiveness of prayer, by the way. Uh, he who seeks, finds. And he who knocks, it will be opened. For if a son asks for bread from uh, any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Or if you then, being evil, now this is by comparison to God who is holy and perfect, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Kind of an interesting turn at the end, but actually that is whole, the whole point of prayer. Do you know what is so amazing is if we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, he gives us the Holy Spirit, which means that we can live and we can live in the presence of God every day of our lives. We have a relationship with God. This is the greatest gift you could ever be given, is the presence of the Holy Spirit every single day of your life. So you never go through anything alone, always in the presence of God, confused, disappointed, but you're always with him. I mean, this... Jesus promises those of you who will take up 21 days of prayer and fasting, if you ask, you're going to receive. If you seek, you're going to find. If you knock, it's going to be opened. God is honored by persistent prayer. He responds to persistent prayer. You're never going to make him your servant because he's God. But in his position of power and wisdom and goodness, he will lead you. He will work in your life. He will help you. Persistent prayer. You know, I'm so glad to have my kids back from California, but I do remember the day that Rob and Kyla came and told me that they were, they were taking a job in California and they were moving away. 
And I, I tell you what, I mean, I'm, I'm all about them doing what God's will is, but I was not a happy boy. And so when are you leaving? They weren't married yet. They were just friends, but, well, they were more than friends, but no. So Cindy says to me after they leave, you know, someone's going to need to write go with Rob to make the 1,600 plus thousand mile trip to California. And I, and, and I, I was grumpy. Was, but my wife is very smart and very wise. She's, I, said, I, I, uh, I said, well, I'm not doing that. Next day she came back to me after a little time. Well, you know, someone's going to have to go, Eddie. I mean, he can't just make that trip all by himself. And you are his father. Yeah, you're right. So Robert's trying to minimize the inconvenience of this trip for me. Dad, we can just, we can just, we can just go. We we'll get in the car and we'll just drive. I said, no way. I've done that before. I'm not doing that again. Okay, we're going to get in the car. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a trip of this, Rob. We loaded up his CRV with all of his earthly possessions, including a large screen TV and not very much else. I said, we're, we're going to drive eight to nine hours. We're going to stop at a place. We're going to have a nice meal together and go to a movie. Deal? Okay. And then we're going to drive the next day. We're going to find a good place to stop, get a meal, have a movie. And then we're going to get up the next day and we'll make it all the way to, to Los Angeles. That is one of my most cherished memories with my son. I spent a lot of hours in a car, listened to a lot of podcasts, doing a lot of conversation. You know, I'm so glad I have a very wise persistent wife who knows how to drop a word well you know someone's got to go and you are his father sometimes in our prayers we don't like what's going on we don't even understand ourselves Tim Keller talking about prayer says, it is impossible for a human being to know themselves apart from being in the presence of God because we were created by God and to know who we really are, we have to explore who we are in the context of God's presence and God's person. Prayer is about seeking God on a daily basis. It's about getting to know God. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Enoch. He's the first guy in the Bible early on in Genesis who he doesn't die because he walked with God and he was not for God took him. And then in Hebrews, it talks more about Enoch. Enoch was a man who pleased God. Is it possible that a man could please God? I mean, that's such a high, lofty goal, but it happened. I mean, Enoch did. And then it goes on to say, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is 
and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Sometimes I go to prayer and I'm like, God, not really sure what I'm doing here again. But I'm here because I do believe that you are. And I want you to, I want the reward you wouldn't give me. So here I am. I'm going to fumble through this prayer. It's not very eloquent. Not really sure where I'm going today, but I am here. I showed up. That's what we're trying to do. 21 days. Ask. Ask. Keep on asking. Seek. Seek. Keep on seeking. Knock. Knock. Don't ever stop knocking. And the promise is God will respond. And you'll get to know him in the process. My question today is, will you take the challenge? 21 days. 21 days. We've got a prayer guide right here. You can check off every day. 21, right there. Just check it. This is something for you to pray about. Pray for whatever you want. In fact, you need to go home and make a list of what you need. Why don't you ask God for the impossible things in your life? Why don't you do that? Why don't you talk to God about the most painful, frightening, fearful, confusing things of your life? Put them on your list. Have a conversation. 21 days. God, this is it. Here, I'm still here. I said, what I still feel. Well, show me what to do. 21 days. You ask. You seek. Knock. I promise you. You'll find them. So, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And um, I, I'm looking for a commitment from you. How many of you will say, okay, I'm in. I'll take the challenge for 21 days. I will be seeking the Lord in prayer. We're starting tomorrow. It'll take us to the end of, of January. But I'm in. I'm in. Now, if you're in, raise your hand, and I want you to tell the Lord, I'm in. 21 days, I will pray every day. I'll find a place. I'll follow a plan. I'm in. You know, um, we're going to end with communion, so if you want to get the communion elements... No one loves us like God. A God who created all things, created the world, whom we have offended and sinned against, who decides to send his son to pay for us so he can rescue us, is a God we can trust and should seek. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're going to take communion together. And then we're going to have our extended time of prayer. So if you'll open the part that has the bread, I want to read this passage as you're getting that. 
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the disciples had no idea the full extent of what he was telling them, but they did in a few hours as they watched the broken body, the shredded, crucified body of Jesus on a cross, paying for your sins and my sins. No one loves you more than God. Let's pray and thank him. Lord Jesus, we remember your broken body today. It is uh, incredible to us that you would suffer and give so much. You would even die for us because you were the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great sacrifice and your love. And today we remember what you have done. Let's eat together. same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes covenant it's like a promise on steroids sealed in the blood of the Lamb of God who says, um, you trust in me, believe in me, I will give you eternal life. I promise, I promise, I promise. Remember my blood was spilled for you. This promise is written in the blood of the Son of God. There is no safer place in the world than in the presence of this God. <laughs> 